You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. I tell you what, it was an absolute gorgeous weekend here in Iowa. We got to spend a lot of time outside with the family and I got a garden planted. I got my 2017 buck mount back in my house. It's not in its final resting place yet, but it is uh, in the house and I'm looking at it right now. I, what else? I had my nephew's baptism and that was a big family event. Uh, Lots of family, lots of food. Um, just a great overall beautiful weather oh and I planted uh, half of my garden I got half of my garden planted I still have to plant uh, corn and carrots but I got uh, and I have to get some compost so we're gonna do that this week but I'm a little frustrated and as I'm as men I'm you know I would say somewhere between 95 to 98 percent of the people who listen to this podcast are men and as a man, <laughs> uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have to vent somewhere. And this is the perfect place to vent. I have three kids. So alone time with the wife is limited, especially when you have a breastfeeding baby and she is up with him parts of the night. And, you know, adults do adult things. And tonight I thought that there was going to be a special moment with me and my wife you know I look over and there is my son staring right at me and right at my wife and so the moment passed I love my children but I think I think the moral of the story is that children are cock blockers and that's really all that's the end of the story that's really all I have to say about that so I've also had about five margaritas tonight because we had to uh, celebrate Cinco de Mayo one day late because we were busy on Cinco de Mayo. But anyway, 
What are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Michael Fuke, and he is going to talk about how he learned to basically become a better scouter, a scouter, a scouting, better scouting. Anyway, he is going to talk about how he learned to identify deer sign and how to set up on that deer sign buck beds, terrain, other deer sign like rubs and scrapes, access routes, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about how he has found success over the years doing that. And that's what today's podcast is about. It's really informative. It's actually a really good podcast, and um, you guys could learn some things from it, a thing or two. And if you don't learn anything from it, it's a really good story. So, uh, and that's definitely what I like. Now, if you guys, in in the past, you guys have heard me talk about Deer Lab, and we haven't talked about Deer Lab uh, on this podcast in a while. And they're, they are again, a partner of this podcast, and I am a huge fan of Deer Lab. Uh, so first, what is Deer Lab? It is a place that you can upload all of your trail camera pictures. And what does Deer Lab do? Well, it takes the date and time off of your trail camera picture, and it pulls in all this additional data like moon phase, wind speed, wind direction, temperature, uh, and a whole bunch of other things, and it categorizes everything, right? So then what you can do is you can use that data. You can sort through it, click it, filter it, and do a whole bunch of different things to identify deer movement and forecast that for upcoming seasons. So what I do with all of last year's and previous year's trail camera data, I can go in and I can say, okay, I have a trail camera here. And historically, on the 3rd of November, on a northwest wind, I see really good deer movement in X stand. And what it does is it allows you to forecast deer movement and set up based off that historical data. So to take it one step further, you can also identify bucks, right? We are... You know, we all would love to chase a specific one specific deer and deer lab can do that so you can identify one specific buck and bait and do the same exact thing so based off of last year's data you could forecast where this buck has been the past three years and now that he's mature and now that he's in your hit list or you know you consider him a shooter you can use that historic data to set up on him and potentially kill him so if you guys want to find out more information on deer lab very simple go to deerlab.com and check out all of the information that these guys can give you based off your trail camera pictures i'm a trail camera freak so this is just perfect for me so check it out deerlab.com enough of the bs let's get into today's hunter profile scouting hunting becoming a better hunter podcast with michael fuke three two one all right mr michael fuchs you're on the nine finger chronicles podcast right now how does that make you feel that makes me feel great dan (laughs) i appreciate you having me on here today man no man the appreciation's all over here i really appreciate you taking time to uh hop on the podcast now before we get into it because i feel that this is going to be a really good podcast for everybody to listen to but before we get into all of it 
Where do you live? What do you do for a living? I live here in southern Indiana, uh, right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, and I currently work for Reynolds Aluminum Foil Wrap, and uh, I'm a mechanical engineer there. So I'm sure you're familiar with grilling outside on the grill, cooking back straps and everything else. If if you ever used Reynolds Wrap, it's uh, come out of Louisville, Kentucky here, and uh, I'm a mechanical engineer there, so I design the equipment, uh, develop the processes, and, and troubleshoot for, for Reynolds. Nice. Nice. Keep you busy? Yep. Oh, absolutely, man. I, actually, I was just in Germany last week. We're uh, buying some uh, equipment from a company over there, and I know we originally had this podcast scheduled for last Wednesday, but being six hours off of schedule and in another country, I thought we could jump to uh, this week for it. So Yeah. Real quick question. As a side note, how was Germany? Was it a fun country? Oh, it was awesome, man. The, the trip was too quick, but I am going back, uh, going back in August. They they had a piece of equipment similar to the one that we're purchasing built there. Uh, so we've got, we got to inspect that, and come August, they'll be working on our actual piece of equipment. But, yeah, Germany was awesome, man. It's uh, definitely a lot more laid back than the States here. It's uh, – you don't get the hustle and bustle, the rat race feeling over there. Uh, right. It was a, uh, it was cool though. But yeah, it was a quick trip. We left Monday and got back Thursday night. So I'm nice. looking forward to going back. Cool, cool. I don't know. Does Germany have any animals you can hunt? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because uh, that's always the, the number one <laughs> thing on my mind. So yeah, there was some blinds and stuff over there as that we were driving through and. They actually, um, they've got a boar problem over there. They've got some big boars, and they do have deer. Uh, I didn't personally see any, but, but yeah, they've got animals over there to hunt. I just uh, haven't had the chance to dive into it too much yet. Maybe the next trip I can uh, try to find someone to hook me up over there. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos of, like, and it always seems like they're from Russia, where all of a sudden this gigantic wild boar pop, and I'm not talking like the down South, like South Southern United States, wild boars. I'm talking like the size yeah. of a car <laughs> wild boar pops oh, out. Yeah. And then these like these crazy guys with guns are shooting them dead at like three feet. No, it's nuts, man. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be, yeah. There's that'd some be scary. tough animals. I know that. <laughs> All right. Let's, what do you say? We talk about deer hunting. Yes, that sounds great. Okay. Now, we're going to talk, we're going to use 2014 as a point of reference because you right. reached, you reached out to me and you said my life as far as hunting and hunting strategy changed in 2014. So today, I want to talk about pre-2014 post 2014 okay. and then i want to really concentrate on the the what actually changed in your hunting strategy why did it change what drove you to change it and all those questions that are kind of tangled up in there so i think the first place to start we'll just do it in chronological order is we'll talk yeah. about pre 2014 so talk to us a little bit about what kind of hunter you were before 2014 yeah absolutely dan 
So, yeah, I, I started deer hunting at a fairly young age, uh, back when I was, you know, 13, 12, 13 years old. Uh, my uncle started taking me out. Uh, actually shot my first buck. Uh, I was only in the stand for 20 minutes. It was opening evening. I was 13. Uh, m- my dad didn't hunt growing up, uh, but my mom's side, my grandfather and my uncle did. And, uh, you know, they, they saw me getting ate up with it. And uh, my uncle had got me some camo and hunting VHS and a grunt call. And my mom woke up um, opening day of shotgun season here in Indiana uh, it was, you know, 2002, 2003 time frame, and I was out, and it was 5, 6 a.m., and I was in my full camo watching that deer hunting VHS, and she called my uncle immediately, and she said, hey, you've got to take Michael hunting, like, tonight. <laughs> so uh, he ended up taking me taking me out that evening, and I shot my first buck 20 minutes in the stand, and I, I've pretty much been hooked ever since. But Nice. Uh, nice. It's funny but, how something relatively simple can can get you fired up and get you addicted. And then, you know, what I love about these kind of hunter profile podcasts is, you know, you get to learn about, you know, oh, I was really excited about, you know, when I was a kid. And I and then from there it was, you know, I, I really, it really took off and I love to be hunting. But then there's something that happens after that where yeah. you thought you were – hardcore you thought you were fired up you thought you loved hunting and then something happens and it is it's just way more intense and then you're you're that that level is just blows up right you just go you go to a completely different level yeah absolutely i uh you know i just started getting super passionate about it wanting to learn as much and as much as i could um but you know uh, i spent the first, you know, 10 years of my deer hunting, uh, career, just hunting, you know, gun hole as far as I could. Um, and I never really, you know, I tried to learn and think about it as much as I could. I always tried to put myself in the best position I could. And, uh, I killed a lot of good deer. Uh, but I, you know, I, I hunted the same private farm. I had permission to hunt all the way up until 2014 going into that summer um i was contacted by the farmer and told that 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 piece of property was going to be leased out and i would no longer be able to hunt there uh at the time that was a real heartache for me it was a hard pill to swallow uh the farm i had grown up on my you know my whole life and uh i'd hunted there from the time i was 16 until i was 22 years old uh yeah i really had the farm you know i thought figured out in my mind, I would love to go back there now, knowing what I know. But uh, you know, I, it got to the point back then where I was—I you know, had what I considered my rut spots and funnels. Uh, no real, never really dug deep enough to think about where bucks were bedding, uh, just where they would necessarily travel through when the time was right. Okay. So I found myself, you know, waiting until November almost wait until November to hunt because I knew those big deer would be moving that time period. And I knew that if I went into my good spots before then, it was just going to stink them up. Uh, my strategy now is completely different. Right. Um, I, every, before, um, hang, the hold first up. Days, 
hold up. I don't want to go. Yeah. I don't want to go too fast, right? Because we're missing some things here. Now, right for the first ten years, right? You, I mean, it sounds like you were a majority of a gun hunter, right? Uh, I did. I gun hunted, but, but I bow hunted too. I, okay. All right. Know, I, I, I was, I was bow hunting. I, no, I, at the age of 15, I got a Pearson Renegade, uh, and started hunting with it. Um, I mean, I, whenever I turned 16 and got, you know, my first truck, I, I was out in the woods at any chance I, I could get, Gotcha. uh, whether it was missing school for opening day or, or whatever it took. Gotcha. But no, I, yeah, I, I always bow hunted. All right. So you've always been a bow hunter. Um, what, what, what had bow hunting taught you from when you really started bow hunting till the, the 2014 cutoff that we're referencing here? What, what did you learn the early years as a bow hunter? You know, I think I learned most, um, and then, you know, all my, all my strategies and, and, tactics before 2014 were they were all centered around that one piece of private farm that was the only place i hunted i i had yet to touch any public land um and what i i guess what what bow hunting taught me was uh, to not hunt gun hole but you know the same tree necessarily you know time after time again i mean that i had two or three trees on that hundred acres and, and for five or six years those were the only trees i hunted Gotcha. Uh, in the past three years, I haven't hunted the same tree more than three times. Okay. So you, you kind of, you, it sounded to me like you're, you were in a, not necessarily a rut, but you were in a routine where you had X number of stands in traditionally good locations and or historically good locations, whether it's for the rut or for whatever, and you weren't really into maybe betting or looking at sign or you know trails or wind direction terrain, all that stuff. Is that kind of accurate? Right. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I was, you know, I, I was putting myself in areas where I knew deer traveled. Uh, the one specific area that always stands out. There was three ridges that funneled down to a creek bottom. And, uh, you know, I would sit and I would wait until, you know, the last week of October, the first two weeks of November and start hunting there. And I would hunt that same spot damn near every, you know, every weekend, right. every chance I could get, uh, same access and, uh, route for all the winds, same too. access route. Yeah. Same access route. You know, I paid attention to the wind somewhat, but, um, it was one of those deals where once the rut kicked in, I knew I could go sit in that tree and see, see activity and, and that was just my comfort zone, you know? Gotcha. So, so and I, I killed some good deer out of that spot. And I, and I can't tell you the number of times I packed a, an all-day pack and sat there from dark to dark. I, there was just numerous times I would go in there and do that. Right. So you were you were under the impression that you're going to kill a buck because you're putting time in the tree stand. Correct. Not yep. necessarily the right time, but a lot of time. Yeah, I was putting myself in the right place when I thought the right time was, and I was just going to wait out. It was always going to be a math game to me. You know, if there's two or three good bucks that are running that ridge or running that area, and I put myself in the stand, you know, the more hours I put myself in that tree, the the greater the odds were that buck crossing paths with me. And that right. was 
basically my theory, you know. And <clears throat> the thing is, I didn't have any other options at the time. I wasn't going out and finding these public lands that I hunt now. Um, so for the month of October, uh, you know, I almost wouldn't even hunt because yeah. I was just waiting. I didn't want to go in there and, and screw up my spot because I, what I had found is that, you know, there was a few years there where I would go in and start hunting, hunting those good funnels in, in early October. And then come time when deer should have been moving through there, they weren't because I'd been, you know, hunting there too much. Right. Right. And that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, for a lot of people, they, they want to, they want to kill the big buck, you know, the quote unquote mature buck, the big buck, but they just can't lay off certain areas of the farm until it gets good. Right. Um, exactly. I know that one year uh, doing, you know, through trail camera research alone or through uh, trail camera Intel alone, I, the, the first mature buck and what I'm saying is a mature buck is four years old or older. The first time right. a mature buck made daylight on my picture, on my trail cameras was October 28th. So that tells you that's a, right. that's almost a, I don't know, Kentucky, you you're from Kentucky, right? Yeah. I li- yeah, correct. I, well, I, li- I live here in Southern Indiana, but I'm, but I'm blessed to be able to hunt. You know, I hunt Kentucky as a non-resident, but I hunt Kentucky just as much, if not more, than here in Indiana. Okay. So that uh, Kentucky opens up in September, right? Correct. All right. So Early September. Early September. So, you know, there was a while there where you were probably hunting September and October, and some of these deer weren't even making daylight yet. Right. Well, uh you know, I moved back home uh, in 2015, and, that, and uh, that was when I really started hunting Kentucky more. Okay. Was when I came back home and, and started hunting this public land. So up until, uh, you know, as we're calling it, the, the pre-2014 era, I was, I was an Indiana okay. hunter only. All right. When does that season start? Indiana season starts uh, uh, October 1st every year. Okay. So for the most part, I mean – the point I'm trying to make is, is that mature bucks really aren't even on their feet in daylight, roughly, you know, there's, there's certain scenarios that will get them up like a cold front or the very first estrus doe, maybe that might get them up. But for the most part, you know, a big mature buck is the most patient animal in the world before the rut. Right. So, so yeah, no doubt. I yeah. Mean, so I, and I can yeah, remember they're, doing they're that spinning. too, man. I can remember doing that too, where I was just, you know. Yeah, you're just kind of waiting it out for things to bust wide open. Uh, but you're screwing everything up now. too at the same time, you know. Like yeah. I would go in and I'd hunt these good tree stand locations and I would see good movement, but from does and one-year-olds, one right? So yeah, exactly. I'm just screwing yep. it up when all these bucks would come by that same tree stand about two hours after dark. Yep. Yeah, right. you're exactly right. Or, or they, you know, that they were already laying in their bed an hour before you got there that morning. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, there comes a time where everybody wants to learn just a little bit more. I think, um, I think that's what makes good hunters great. Or there's, there's a point where people are either satisfied with the results that they're having or they want more. 
even if they're successful or not, they want to, they want to be more successful. And that that's for anything, right. in, anything in life. So uh, absolutely. What led to you wanting to find out more information? And I'm just going to say, use the term spread your wings before, before yeah. this change in 2014 happened, what led you to, to start thinking about that? Well, I just, I always had that competitive edge, you know, I, um, I was the kind of guy every year I wanted to kill the biggest buck, a big deer, you know, and, uh, that competitive edge combined with that passion, um, just, it did, it, it instilled to this day, you know, I, I want to learn more and more and more and be the best I can be. And I'll never be as good as I want to be. And I think that's what you know, keeps me pushing to get better and better. But, uh, I definitely think that competitive edge and, uh, and wanting to, you know, kill a big deer year in and year out is what's gotten me to where I'm at now. Who are you competing against? I mean, you use the word competition. I'd say myself okay. more than anything. Okay. Um, because is it it's a like it's like a drive, right? I mean, you're you're driven to every year go out and just I don't know, like what what's your goal every year? I mean, back then, before 2014, what was your goal every year? Did you did you have a hit list or did you have a certain set of bucks or a caliber of buck that you were going after? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would you know put out trail cameras back then, and and I had you know what I would call a hit list then. Uh, in fact, I, I probably used more trail cameras back then than I even do now. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I, from the time, and I was, you know, I guess when I was 18, 19, 20 was when I really wanted to start shooting more mature deer. You know, I didn't want to pull the trigger on something unless it was worth taking to the taxidermist. And, uh, you know, at that point, with that being said, I wanted to kill one every year. Right. So I passed a lot of deer, but I, you know, I wanted to kill a good buck every year. Was there, and that's just all. Uh, so then, so then this transition started to happen where you weren't necessarily happy. Was that because of failure on a certain, like se- previous seasons or was it just like you were still killing deer, but you're just like, well, man, I want to kill different deer. I want to kill bigger no, I, deal. That's a great question because I know um, going into 2014, I was coming off quite a few failures. And uh, like we talked about before, it was a mass game for me back then. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm at 270 hours of stand time and I miss a big buck. You know, to me, that that just would crush me. Uh, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. And at that point, you're at the bottom as low as it gets. And I wanted more and more opportunities at deer like that you know i didn't want to have to sit 270 hours in a stand to get a chance at a 130 inch buck right um i wanted to to learn more and more so i could have more and more opportunities because i had failed and whenever i fail there's only one way i can get over it and that's go kill kill another one yeah absolutely anybody that hunts and is serious about it knows that feeling you know you miss a big buck and i don't care who you are if you're serious about it the only way to get over it is to go kill another one. Absolutely. So you had, so you had a couple failures 
leading up to this this change, right? Um, yeah. So let's talk. Let's start to talk about that now. What was it? Failure specifically, or was it a mixture of failure and wanting to kill different or bigger deer that kind of sent you on this search for more information? Well, I was still. Uh using the strategies that, that I had before and more rut focused tactics. Uh, but the, the failures were, were, was the fact that I was starting to get good at getting on big deer, even going into 2014, but I blew some of the opportunities just flat out. You know, I buck fever got the best of me. If you want right. me to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, you know, I, I think 2012 and 2013, both I missed big deer and, uh, you know, you, you miss a big deer. <laughs> I was, I missed a big deer on in early November. And up to that point, you know, I'd already put, you know, however many hundred hours of stand time in. And then, you, you know, you finally get that chance that you've been waiting for and you blow it. Uh, I, I was frustrated, man. It was, uh, I had a couple missed opportunities and I would look at my wall and think, man, you know, there's some empty spaces there that should have been filled. Right. And I was, I was getting good at getting on big deer and I wasn't finishing the job. And my only answer to that was to create more opportunities. And the only way I was going to do that was by learning more. Right. So when you say getting on big deer, because there's a difference I feel about where this conversation is heading and getting on big deer as opposed to your old strategy and getting on big deer. Now, when you say 100%, yeah. so, so when you say getting on big deer, you're still sitting in your traditional areas. Did that just mean that big, there, all of a sudden big deer showed up on your farm? Yeah. I mean, I, um, well, I, I moved up North to start working for Honda in, uh, 2013 and I did start hunting a piece of public when I first moved up there before I got permission to hunt the private farm that I did up there. And, um, that was in 2013. And I specifically, um, you know, I, I put in a lot of time on this, on this certain public area. And I, I was learning a lot. I was putting in the time I was scouting and, uh, I had an opportunity. I had a really good buck, um, uh, and I missed him, uh, with my bow there okay so So that sounds like yeah so it actually sounds like you were starting to do a little more take active steps to i was before 2014 right so i was definitely starting to want to venture out and um i was living away from home up north and i uh i didn't have any permit i didn't have permission to hunt any private farms yet and there was a piece of public i started hunting up there and I did. I, I learned a lot hunting that public land uh, up there, but i i got a I got a good opportunity up there, a good deer, and and, uh, and I missed them. Right. So you're not necessarily using that blanket coverage anymore. You were actually doing some scouting, actively pursuing yeah. this deer, because yep. the the opposite of that is you're sitting in a tree stand that you've sat in hundreds of hours throughout the the years and 
you're waiting for a big buck. You're not going and looking for a big buck. And it sounds like 2013, that move to public ground kind of forced you to, to do that. It did. And, uh, the, the drive was there to do the right things, but the knowledge wasn't there. So when I started hunting this public land, I knew I needed to get away from everybody. So I threw my stand on my back and I would hike a mile and a half and, and get up on a ridge top after I found some sign and, and sit there, you know, I, I wanted to do the right things. I just didn't know how, uh, I was, I was getting in there and going deep and I knew I needed to get away from people. And, and that's what I was doing. Um, and I, but then again, I was still just at the end of the day, aimlessly wandering in, in deep timber, looking at sign, not having an idea of contour of the, topographical map uh at that time i didn't even know how to read a topo map i was just cruising walking ridges going deep and finding sign and setting up you know right so it sounds to me like you you knew how how to identify the the sign the rubs the bedding areas but you didn't know how to put the pieces of the puzzle together yeah i'd say that's accurate i just my mindset was just different, you know. Right. I wasn't thinking about where this buck's bedded. I was looking at trails and looking at his rubs and, uh, you know, just trying to get in there. And I knew deer traveled the upper third. You know, the trails are always there. But I, I didn't know why. I, but I would you know, walk those trails and find the sign. And if I was deep and found the fresh scrape and some fresh rubs, I'd get up in a tree and, and wait it out and see what happened. Right. But at, at the end of the day, I still didn't have an answer why uh why that deer or why this buck came by me you know where was he bedding at where was he going what was he doing right so do you feel that you were too focused on the the micro meaning were you too focused on individual placements of scrapes and rubs and bedding areas or were you too focused on the big pictures and not enough detail i'd say the big picture and not enough detail um You know, I I was wanting to do the things that no one else was. And the only thing I was really doing right was going deep and getting away from everybody and and finding sign and setting up, but understanding why that sign was there and, and where it was coming from, I still hadn't reached that level. Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk about that big change that happened. All right. What? Okay. Just walk us through that, that change where why you wanted to get this information where you got this information and how that information kind of almost like a drug opened your mind up to like start thinking a different way about deer hunting yeah it was definitely a big shift um but yeah i was i was working at honda night shift at the time and uh i'd started listening to you and mark on the wired to hunt podcast and uh, I was on night shift, so I, I was, you know, I'd sit in the office and do office work and throw in the earbuds. And uh, uh, episode number 27, uh, the title was, you know, the October lull with the big buck serial killer, uh, who I had no idea was at the time. But here here I am wanting to learn as much as I can about killing bucks, and someone's titled themselves the big buck serial killer. I was instantly enthused. Uh, instantly wanting to turn up the volume a little bit and 
and see what that podcast had to offer. And, uh, so I started listening to that and I, I think, uh, you know, Dan Infault, what, what attracted me to him the most at first was his confidence. Um, and that, that was the first time I'd ever even heard him speak, but, uh, his confidence really intrigued me. And, uh, you know, he, he started talking a language that I just could totally relate to. And, and I started listening and stuff he was saying just started making sense to me. Uh, you know, in that podcast, he talks about a mature buck. Uh, you know, I'm talking three plus years old is going to spend 90 to 95% of his daylight life living in his bed. And, and I heard him say that, uh, and that that spoke volume to me that really opened my eyes right there and uh and he went on talking to some of the talking about some of the strategies he used and you know i just got to thinking you know i've been spending all this time in the woods you know trying to get on these big deer doing what i thought was the best of my ability i i'd really never thought about buck betting and then i thought to myself you know if a buck's that I'm wanting to kill spending 95% of his daylight life in his bed, that means I've got a 5% opportunity of pitting myself in the ball game to kill him. And it ultimately leaded to the buck betting being the, the focal point of my, my hunting strategy. Uh, and it still is. And, and it, it, it always will be. So real quick, when you gain information, when people gain information, they, they have to know how to use it, right? Because Dan Infault starts showing you and talking to you about his properties. He shows you examples of his properties, but you still have to translate that. You have to take away those principles and you have to translate that into your property, right? So yeah. Yeah. How, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So 2014, um, at the time it, it was, it was mid October when I heard that podcast and I had gained access. I was hunting a private farm in central Indiana up there by where I worked at. And, uh, it was, it's a phenomenal farm. Uh, we had trail camera pictures. We had a hit list of just numerous good bucks. Um, and, and like, like I said, it was mid-October when I heard that podcast. I, I was already having a good season. I was seeing a lot of deer, just not putting myself in position to kill those big bucks. And, uh, you know, I, as I listened to that podcast and I started listening more and more to Dan, um, I found myself implementing those strategies on that on that farm. And uh, that ultimately ended up, the, the result of that was me killing what my biggest buck to date is, um, right now and still to this day uh on november 28th of that year 2014 on that farm okay so uh, walk us through that i mean what were you was this a run and gun setup where you were you walked into the timber with a stand on your back looking for sign and sat up on it or did you have any historical data uh to go on uh, i had historical data uh but it was a 100 percent uh, what you and I call, you know, running gun, a mobile setup, scouting and hunting. Um, and, and this particular buck, uh, we called the daylight buck because in late summer and 
even going into early October, um, we were getting trail camera pictures of him and he would just randomly show up in this bean field, uh, you know, before dark on just certain sporadic days. And, uh, none of us had a clue why he was doing that. Me and my buddy that were hunting there at the time. Uh, and since I, you know, killed that buck and have learned what I learned, I, there was a big north facing slope ridge right above that bean field on the back side. So what that buck was doing and what I found out is, and I went back and looked at every trail camera picture we had of him during daylight hours when we deemed him the daylight buck. And on every single one of those days, there was a wind out of the south. And that wind out of the south fit him on that north facing slope right above those beans. And he would just travel right down that ridge and eat on those beans. And that's what put him in front of that camera during daylight hours. And at the time, I had no clue. But that's why he was there. Right. Okay. So uh, you used terrain. You used wind direction. Um, how did your How did your access route after you kind of learnt, got this information? Was it Was it more of an aha moment, or was it more of a okay? Once you're in there, you slowly start to realize and understand. Uh, well, I. What I, what I just told you, I didn't even understand or learn until, uh, after I'd already killed that deer. And it, yeah. that was in, uh, I killed him November 28th of that year. Um, but I, we tried, we obviously were hunting that, hunting that deer and some others, uh, at the time, but we were just going in and, and basically practicing the same strategies that I always had before. Okay. All right. And, uh. But, but uh, you know, I started listening to Dan more and more. And, you know, the bug betting on private versus public farms is completely different. And uh, I say that the number one important thing for a buck, mature buck to bed is going to be seclusion. He's not, he's going to bed somewhere where he feels safe and secluded. And on that particular farm, there was pressure all around and it was heavily, heavily pressured. And I knew that I needed to get away from that pressure to get on this buck. So it was a matter of starting from where I had seen him there in early October and where we had the pictures of him and basically tracing his sign from there back to where I ultimately killed him. And that was just by following fresh hot sign and going in when the time was right you know, based off the wind right. and, and, you know, two months later I ended up back in his bedroom with him with the right conditions and, and I killed him. Wow. And, and that was, you know, half a mile from, from where that trail camera was. Right. Right. So you used so, a little bit of that, right? I mean, it's, right. cause you said you didn't necessarily realize it until after you killed this deer. Right. So, so do you feel that there was along with some of the principles that you used, do you think there was a little bit of luck involved with that setup initially? Uh, yes and no. You know, at the time I still didn't know how to read a topo map. I still didn't understand that, uh, a mature buck in hill country is going to bed on that leeward ridge side. Um, all I really knew is that, um, I need to follow or trace his sign back 
into an area where he felt safe and secluded. And, uh, and that's really what I ended up doing to, to kill that deer. Um, but like I said, you know, on, on a private farm like that, you know, I, I've seen bucks bed in some crazy places and it's just because they feel safe yeah. uh, and secluded. And it can be totally different than that. Uh, you know, on public land, when I'm two miles deep on a ridge, there's a, a textbook buck bed that I'm following the script on right now. And you don't always find that on private because that, you know, that, that point, that south facing point two miles deep might have someone's ladder stand right on it. And, and that four or five year old buck's not going to bed there. Right. Absolutely. So for years, I would go in, you know, like, there, there was times where I didn't know what I was doing. If I had killed, if I killed a buck, it was from, from luck, right? I'd go and set up on sign. I, I didn't understand. I wasn't understanding why I was successful or why I was failing just that I was successful or I was failing. It wasn't until, you know, years later where I started to, to understand. So that next year, 2015, right? You were successful again, right? Right. 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 Yep. So, so well, was... 2014, I, in 2014, um, well, I killed my state buck there on November 28th. And then I got drawn for a public land hunt, um, two weeks after that. And, and I killed a, a good 10 pointer there in 2014 as well with a, uh, with a, with the draw tag okay. on public land. So on that second buck, was it like, was it starting to, to get easier for you was it easier for you on that second buck to go in find, uh, find the location and, and and start really being a fluid hunter i yeah uh yeah i think that second buck i killed you know i don't know have you ever hunted a draw hunt like that uh, no i have not i don't know if you all have no okay well this is just a it's a military refuge draw hunt so uh, it can kind of be luck, but I I put myself in a really deep area based off some some aerial scouting on a map, and I ended up connecting on that deer. But uh, more than anything, it just kept that confidence and that drive. I was on a hot streak now. You know, I I killed that buck there on the private farm up north, and came back home on a draw hunt and killed one. And at that point, the the ball was just rolling. Right. Okay. So. Year one, like for me, I've killed, I've had my first ever back-to-back seasons, right? My first ever uh, harvest where I've killed two deer two years in a row, right? First time ever for me I've done Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah. Yeah, those are two awesome deer too, man. So, yeah, and it's because I've started to understand, you know, in the past I've either like dedicated a season to a friend or I've... Uh, past bucks and, and just waited on deer that never did show up or I screwed up, right? I Similar to you, had some buck right. fever. I feel right. like for me, this season was good. Although I killed a immature buck with a big antlers, right? I, I made a mistake That's still there. still a good deer, yeah. yeah. I made a mistake on judging the age class of this buck. However, I feel like I really got, I'm really starting now to get the hang of walking onto a property, identifying the best possible tree stand locations and setting up and waiting or, you know, putting myself in the right position. In 2015, after you've had these two successful hunts, 
were, did, yeah. was your confidence a little higher going into that that season? Yeah, my confidence was higher, and uh, you know, along with my confidence being higher, I was still um, soaking up everything I could um, from listening to Dan Insult and following the hunting beast there. So, but yeah, my my confidence was high, and on top of my confidence being high, I, I was getting more of a drive to keep learning and learning, and the the buck betting strategy had completely consumed me uh, to the fullest degree. Okay. So why don't you regurgitate some of that information? Because I want you to share with the listeners some of the biggest points, I guess, the biggest strategy helpers for you that you took away from, let's say, Dan Infault or some of the other places that you got content from. Yeah, uh, like I said, I hunt uh, primarily all hill country. Uh, so learning the, the betting strategies that, that Dan had taught me, and I've never personally met Dan, but I've sent him plenty of messages back and forth. And, uh, you know, I could message him right now and, and get a response. Uh, so that's been nice. But, the, yeah, as far as the betting strategies go and applying it to hill country, uh, if I could give anybody the best piece of advice, the first thing is, you know, you got to learn how to read a topographical map. Uh, I use Onyx now, which is great because it'll overlay your contour lines, that topical map over the aerial. Whereas before, I would be on my phone and be on Hill Map or, uh, you know, the DNR site, just constantly going back and forth from site to site. But you got to learn how to how to read a topical map. Uh, for sure. What are you and, and looking right now, for specifically on a topographic map? I'm looking for points, uh, points and ridges, uh, off primarily off, off the beaten path. Um, now Indiana and Kentucky, I hunt all public land right now, uh, primarily all public land and, uh, Indiana and Kentucky lay out kind of different in terms of public land. Kentucky's got a, ton of wma properties uh you know where they manage them and they plant food right and uh you know that's great and all uh but you know most of your hunters are going to pound those those food sources and, and it's good to uh it's good that they do all that and all for that but uh you know I'm, i use those food sources primarily for gathering data if anything you know the the big deer end up making it to those but um, I'm not the guy sitting right on the edge of that field um, waiting on him to get there. I, I'm the guy that's going to follow the sign and and have the topo map in my hand and, and get three quarters of a mile, mile away from that field and hunt right outside his bedroom and kill him there. Gotcha. So, um, whereas Indiana, Indiana's got thousands upon thousands of acres of forestry property and they don't necessarily have any WMAs where they're planting these food sources, but I take advantage of a lot of this forestry ground button up to private agriculture, uh, specifically large private agricultural farms. Uh, and in Indiana, you can shine, uh, shine deer as well. So I, you know, my summer months, I'm constantly glassing fields or shining, you know, I'm trying to find these big deer. And when I find a big deer, the first thing I'm going to do is pull up a mat. Right. And, and, and start, start picking it apart as far as where he's going to be bedding at. Right. Which is 
which is something I think that a lot of people don't do because they don't know the rule. In Iowa, unless this is the last time I checked, I think it is still legal to shine at night as long as you're not shining a light within a certain uh, distance of a house or a, a, a building or whatever. I think that's the rule. But I have located a lot of deer doing that. Now, getting on the property is a whole different story, but locating them, Right. Saying, okay, well, this buck is in this area. Let's look at the big picture and see, you know, potential bedding areas, travel corridors, pinch points, and then go from there. Right. Is that, is, is that something that you've done as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, just, well, if, if it's all right, I'll go back to 2015. Yeah. Um, a buck I killed in Kentucky, um, and I think that was when things really started kicking in for me as far as reading these maps and putting a stand on my back and following the sign, following the maps, and, and ending up, you know, really honing in on that on that bullseye, being the, being the buck bed. Uh, so, yeah, if that's all right, I'll, I'll share that story. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so 2015 – um, I was hunting Kentucky and my, my goal was to kill a buck in velvet. Uh, and I was glassing a particular food source. It was some really secluded beans and, uh, I had some good bucks in there and, and uh, I got set, I, I set up a stand and, uh, I got a chance at one of those deer on that public land and I met, and I missed him. Uh, that, Again, that, that fueled that fire and that drive for me to keep learning and learning. Uh, I had glassed and, and had inventory on some good deer coming to that food source. You know, I, and I knew the general direction they were coming from, and I started studying the map and wanting to learn more and more. And uh, I realized that, you know, three-quarters of a mile north of that field, there's a big south-facing slope, just your picture – perfect uh, south facing ridge uh, southwest facing point on the end of that just a big long ridge and uh you know i started studying everything dan talks about and, and uh and realizing you know that those deer were, were bedding you know on that on that south facing slope with the north wind so they're going to lay there with the wind at their back and watching everything there in front of them every single time and in the past three years, I, I can't count the number of mature buck beds I've, I've found and I've actually gone and, and laid in. And I have yet to find a buck bed where he's on a core buck bed where he's not laying with the wind at his back, watching down a ridge like that in that hill country, that style of hunting. Uh, so I started applying those tactics and, and I went in there and, uh, you know, with my stand on my back. I hunted once or twice, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, had some good observations. And then um, on November 7th, 2015, I got in there. Uh, I hunted all day, and I really just sat in the morning. I just sat right next to the parking lot. Uh, I just wanted to be there. I just felt that was the day. The conditions were perfect. The wind was out of the north uh, for that evening, and I I really just wanted to be there, have my truck truck there just to kind of make a stance that you know, I was hunting the area. But uh, I ended up going in there that evening, and uh, you know, I, I started dropping milkweed in 
2015, I guess it would have been. So I, you know, I don't go anywhere without milkweed now. Uh, but you know, dropping my milkweed, I had that wind out of the north on that south facing slope, and uh, I pushed it and pushed it and pushed it till I got you know right outside of that. I was probably you know 100 yards off that point, that south southwest facing point, and that wind's coming out of the north northeast. And, uh, you know, I, he, that buck read the script. He, I could hear him actually get up out of his bed, you know, 45 minutes before dark. And he came down, you know, 30 yards and I, and I killed him right there that night. Wow. But, uh, but since then it's, uh, you know, it, these big deer in this deep, deep hill country, it's, it's like a t- reading a textbook. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding the beds consist consistently over and over again in the same areas. Right. So you're you're telling me now that you feel confident enough you can look at a topo map, right? Now let's let's take away the imagery yeah. the imagery on it, and so it's just topographic right. lines. You can look at that and you can say, I bet you you're going to find deer sign right here. All day, every day. Yeah. I it's a, I spend. 40 hours a week looking at, in fact, if you said, you know, Mike, you have a, you can choose this topo map or an aerial map. I'm going to take the topo map all day. Yeah. I might end up on top of someone's house somewhere, but <laughs> by damn, I'm going to eventually find that buck bed. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. I like I, that. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, but I, yeah, I, I live and die on the, on the, on the topo maps for sure. Right. So since then, have you, have you, I know it sounds like you're starting to refine that, you know, you're refining your strategy. You continue to refine it, learn continuous learning. Has there been any setbacks from 2014 to this past year where, you know, just when you started getting confident in learning something, you had to take a step back and go either maybe overconfidence or it, it wasn't like you thought it was so you had to take a step back reevaluate and then dive in again uh i can't think of any specific examples uh it, it seems the strategies i'm applying just keep building and building and, right. and my confidence keeps growing honestly gotcha um i can't say i've had any setbacks um uh, no i i missed that buck in 2015 that velvet one and uh, knock on wood, I, I haven't missed one since then. And uh, I've killed, I don't know, five or six bucks since then. Nice. All I'm sure. That's awesome. Uh, so. But yeah, in uh, 2000. Go ahead. No, go You go ahead. Yeah, in 2016, I. Uh, I killed a buck in velvet in Kentucky on public land and it was a, a target buck. The, the you know, I, early season strategy is so different. Uh, those first, that first week or two of September, uh, when those bucks haven't transitioned back to their core areas yet, their bedding's still centered around that summer feeding pattern. Uh, the hunting strategy is completely different. And it's, and it's all about the food at that point. You, you know, in Kentucky, you get a crack at that early September animal. And, uh, 
I was hunting this particular area, and I'd got in with uh, one of the one of the wildlife managers there. You know, I, and, I, and I told him, it, you know, if you if you know of any really deep secluded um, food sources, you know, let me know. And I I had been I had been scouting some certain areas, and I was seeing good deer. I was glassing good deer, but nothing really past the, the mile a mile marker uh, deep enough where I really felt safe that I would get a crack at him uh, that opening week. And it was just meant to be because it was, you know, early August and I get a phone call and it was that the gentleman that, and he said, Hey, you know, we just had a farmer donate a truckload of soybeans and this particular field's the only one we have left to plant. It's about, you know, a two mile walk. And uh, I ended up meeting up with him and locating that that field, and uh, and they planted that field and those beans. And I hung a camera up there, and I didn't have one buck on that trail camera uh, going into opening day of of season there. And I'd actually glassed that field twice, and I saw some deer, but nothing that I wanted to pursue. Uh, going into that opening evening of Kentucky season, I'd scouted some really good bucks around that area. Uh, and I just, something kept telling me, you know, that pressure, because guys were already starting to hunt, or guys were already starting to scout and getting there in hang stands. And the back of my mind just kept telling me, Michael, you need to be on that, that deep food source, those bucks these deer are going to end up there, you know, they're going to find that food. And that opening evening in 2016, I, I committed to hunting that, that food source. And I saw more deer than I could count that evening. And right before dark, the bucks that I ended up killing walked right underneath my stand and it was too dark to shoot. Um, but I'm certain it was him. So I, and I went in there the next evening and I, I did hunt the same tree the following evening and it was more, I considered that more of an observation sit at that point. Uh, I felt that there was going to be some good deer getting pushed back that field. And, uh, and, and it proved to be correct that evening. I saw, uh, five, five bucks that I would have shot five shooters, wow. uh, mature deer in my book on public land is at the time was, was three years old and older. Uh, so yeah, I saw five shooters that evening on that field. And so I went from, you know, two weeks of trail of a trail camera hanging there, multiple observation or glassing trips to, and not having any good deer to, you know, a handful of, of target bucks on that field. The, uh, <clears throat> I was off work that Monday and I knew I needed to make a shift to, to get, put myself in the area in the spot to, to kill that buck to have a chance at one of those deer and i went in there that monday morning i was off work it was uh labor day i guess and uh i went in there and just looked and it was just real thick there was a few trees but nothing i could get my climber and i was still hunting with a climber at the time um so i, I had bought a, a hang on and stick then and i knew i was going to need to use them to get to where I needed to be to, to kill that deer where, or in the past, you know, I always had a climber on my back, 
and finding the right tree to get in my <laughs> instead of putting myself where I needed to be you know I I would I would just go to a tree I thought I could be in I'm sure you can relate to that right uh, you know you you go in like that and you I don't know. Do you hunt out of a climber at all? No. Nope. Had you ever before? I've never. Well, I've hunted out of a climber a couple times, but only out of a. From now, it's just a standing sticks. I see. Yeah, I mean now I use the standing sticks quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean I hunt some mature timber, and I've always looked for you know a tree that I can climb with a climber. But I, I ended up, you know, practicing with my hang on that whole week, and I took off work that Friday. And I started following the moon around that time as well. And uh, I started following the moon guide. And I was real big on glass and deer and seeing an increase in activity during, uh, they call it the red moon. But in reality, all it really is is when that overhead moon strikes that last hour is what I'll call the last hour, 30 minutes of light. You know, so when you're expecting to see the most deer activity that in combination with that overhead moon is what they call the red moon. And I was at the time I was taking good notes and I have a ton of data supporting an increase in deer movement and mature buck movement. Um, when that overhead moon strikes during that last hour or so of light. So the wind was going to be perfect for that Friday the overhead moon was going to be great. And, uh, I practiced with that stand and sticks that, that whole week. And I took off work that full day Friday and, yeah, I hiked in there at like 1130 noon. Um, I, you know, I knew I was within a hundred, 200 yards where this buck was bedded at where he had come out before I had a wind out of the East, the same exact wind as I had that Sunday when he came through there. And I'd, took two hours to get that stand hung but i got up there and you know he read the script the you know last half an hour of light he came out just like he did and the first night i saw him and I, and I shot him right there wow you're on a roll my man so yeah definitely well hey I, yeah, i'm I, hoping of all the of all the information that you've kind of shared with us and, and the stories that you shared with us to support you know this change in hunting strategy, if you could take that advice, just get one piece of advice out there to the people who are listening right now. What piece of advice would that be? Yeah, well, the first piece of advice is, you know, if you want to kill a big deer, you got to hunt where they are, and. uh you want to hunt where they are and then you take it the next step. You know, if a mature buck's going to spend 95% of his daylight life in that bed, find the bed. And if you're hunting hill country, like I do start learning how to read a topo map and start studying buck bedding behaviors. And, you know, once you find where that buck's bedding at and you know why he's bedding there, you know why he's, on that leeward slope with the wind at his back, looking down the ridge, uh, you know, go in and hunt them when the time's right, and and don't give up. That's good advice, my man. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you taking time 
out of your day to hop on the podcast and and share your story and share some of the strategies that you've learned and, and how to, I guess, change, right? Changing your ways, yeah. educating yourself to become a better, more successful hunter. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. And that brings Monday's podcast to an end. Thank you guys for tuning in, and thank you to Michael for taking time to hop on and chat with us. Big thanks, big thanks. Huge shout-out to all the partners of this podcast. Deer Lab, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Wasp, and Exodus Trail Cameras, and Ripcord Arrow Rests. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, I don't, I don't really have too much to say. I'm just excited Uh, you know it's weird but i'm excited to see how my garden turns out this year because i've done a couple things different but that's beside the point be sure to check out all of the content on the new sportsman's nation blog we're gonna have a ton of content not only written but we're gonna have some vlogs dropping as well so some video content some written content and on top of that we still have the podcast so Uh, Just tons more great, creative, unique content coming to you, the listener. A bunch of badasses, so thank you very much. Be sure to check out not only the Nine Finger Chronicle and all... Chronicles, God, I can't even talk. But also check out all the other podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. And social media, of course. YouTube, or YouTube, Facebook... This is a horrible outro. I should just, I'm just going to quit it right now. Go to iTunes, leave a review. If you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.